0: Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today it is indeed a full Cubic Report. It is because my guest today is Eugene Cubic, my younger brother of almost 15 years, and his wife, Sherry. He and his wife have just returned from a memorable trip to war-torn Ukraine to attend their son Colin's college graduation in Lviv, which was held on July 2nd, 2023. I've had Colin as a guest on the Cubic Reports twice, once from Ukraine. Eugene is a financial planner with Ameriprise Financial for the past 26 years in Spokane, and his wife is data processor at North Central High School with the Spokane Public Schools for the past 22 years. They also work as premarital mentors for Simbus. They have three children, Lauren and her husband Taylor in Portland, Maine, Heather and her husband, Coleman, and grandson, Ford, who have just moved to Spokane, of course, with Colin living in Ukraine. So with that introduction, maybe a little bit long, but I wanted to explain who you are. Welcome to The Cubic Report. Thank you. Thank you. You just returned from an amazing journey to Ukraine, which is in the midst of a war since February of 2022. And your son, Colin, has attended university there in Lviv in western Ukraine he's been quite a young man it was quite a journey what was what was it like
1: it started with uh, about 80 years ago when our parents were living in Ukraine and the bombing from World War II and uh, knowing that their journey to make it to the United States and I never thought I would ever go back to Ukraine to see the bombing again, but this time with the next generation. So it kind of started with a deep-seated history with our parents and knowing that we're going back to Mm -hmm. something that's still going on today.
2: And and Eugene had um, torn Colin when the war started on February 24th. Um, Colin was over there in his junior year of college or university, and he um he didn't leave right away he he stayed about five days or a week he did um leave the city and go to a classmate's house in the country a little closer to poland but um in the end he ended up leaving ukraine and came home for a whole year almost a whole about a whole year really right on a whole year so and colin really wanted to finish his last semester in person in Lviv and not do online school because online was just there was a lot of online school going on between mm-hmm. covid and then and now the war. Um he really wanted to finish in person and so he had decided that he would go back for the final semester. And so Eugene thinking about you know his parents left Ukraine under Awful circumstances in a war-torn country, and now our son's going back to Ukraine in a war-torn country. That to me, that was hard.
0: You know, why would he want to do that? And and, you know, knowing Colin, and we've been working together for almost 10 years, if not more, with him coming to work with the camps, with street kids in western Ukraine, and then the wonderful experience near Chernobyl and Chernihiv, and it wasn't just kind of going there to Uh, participate in something for a couple of weeks and leave, Colin developed a real love for those people and a real attachment. And even when I went to visit him and see him in Ukraine, I was just amazed that's to the quality of the way that he spoke. His Ukrainian language is just really amazing. So I know that he went back because it was something that he just really felt was in his genes. He had
1: to be there, that those were his people
2: right right
1: well and and he just seemed to be lost in america because his heart and everything was back in ukraine and just the motivation mm -hmm. to be there was very strong
2: so for us to make the decision to go we kind of made that decision we knew he had bought tickets in december to fly back to ukraine and um and we knew his graduation was at the beginning of july and we had said, well, depending on what the war is doing, we'll go. And I th- I don't remember what month we bought our tickets, but we had to buy our tickets in and out of um, Warsaw Would be was the closest. And we always said, well, we're just going to Warsaw. And if, I mean, we booked an Airbnb in Lviv and everything. And if, if worse came to worse, mm-hmm. we would just stay in Warsaw and not travel to Lviv. If it was getting hit by missiles every night, then that probably wouldn't have been wise. But it had been fairly quiet for quite a while and um and so we had actually i had more qualms about traveling for 17 hours on flight three different flights and then hopping on a bus for eight hours than i did about <laughs> actually well i, I know
0: via way in the west and somewhat shielded from the main war which is occurring in the east and in the south but even with talking to colin before While it's very, very relatively peaceful, and there were hardly that many air raid sirens, a few days after you left, I guess the city was bombed
1: and 10 people were killed.
2: Right. Right. Yes.
1: Well, just leading up to that. So when we got to Poland, we had to catch the bus and Colin left Lviv to come pick us up in Warsaw. And he was at the border for 13 hours coming to get us. So his time from Lviv to Warsaw was longer than ours from Spokane to Warsaw. And so when he picked us up, then he brought us back and we only had a three hour wait. And so At at the border, but when we finally got to Lviv, we never heard a siren or a missile. We saw military presence. We saw a number of things that were sobering, but we never experienced what you just shared about the missiles hitting until we were in Poland and that was very sobering. Yes.
2: Right, right. We don't know what they were aiming for, but there is a military school or academy near in that district, kind of near where his university is. So I'm like, were they aiming there? Were they even aiming anywhere? Were they just target destination built into their system?
1: Um, so so, getting back to the whole point of when you ask about the missiles, that was later on. So while we're in Lviv... We just enjoyed an old european city with the cobblestone and there was fountains and life was going on there were bands in the square there was musicians the old men were playing chess in the park benches so you wouldn't have known a war was going on but one of the things that sherry noticed mm-hmm. was the ratio of women to men right there
2: was like even on the bus ride back to lviv it was all women and children, any the only men on the bus were you, the bus driver and Colin and Eugene. There was no other men on the bus. No other men. I mean, once if, one they can't leave Lviv or leave Ukraine. Um, if they have left before the war, there's mm-hmm. not many of those who are going back. Um, so it was all women and children who were on the bus with um, with us, and so that ratio was pretty obvious right away. And then just on the streets, there were men on the streets and, and, but if you just stood and observed the population, it was Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. 70% women that we would see. And it was crowded. It was people were going about life. Um, It's, Lviv is beautiful. They have a ton of public squares and cafes in the street i mean they their their restaurants overflow all of them into the street if in the summer they're beautiful flowers and just um it's hard to pick which <laughs> one you want to eat at because well, the they're pi- also beautiful <laughs> and um the, the, and the pictures it, that you sent were very just
0: pretty. really really astounding uh about of i've been there one time uh passing through from western ukraine to mm. Chernihiv actually one time and we drove through Lviv and it's a city that's been part of Poland at one time and uh, even I'm not sure about Austria-Hungary but it has a lot of connections with Europe and uh, and is quite different from the Russian connections and Ukrainian nationalism is much stronger in Lviv than anywhere else in the country.
1: But it, it was, uh, yeah, the streets were amazing and uh, just people super friendly. And one of the things I noticed, too, is I'd get up early in the morning to go find coffee for Sherry, <laughs> but uh, in the streets before anyone was out, there was not, a lot of elderly women with their brooms that were sweeping all the sidewalks, and it was mm-hmm. really cool just to see the pride in the city.
2: Yes, they are very, I mean, we stayed in an Airbnb really about three blocks from the downtown square. And I mean, I would have felt totally safe walking around any of that area. You didn't see any homeless, any graffiti, any. It was just a very clean, easy to get around, um, beautiful city. And people did. I mean, I'm like, that doorstep doesn't (laughs) even look dirty, and she's sweeping it. And they're very, they're very particular like that.
1: And the only thing that was sobering when you saw signs of the war is all the statues had cages around them or they were removed and all the stained glass uh, windows of churches or building were all boarded up and then they had sandbags around certain buildings. So mm-hmm. just to protect. Now those you arrived in Warsaw and Colin greeted you and then, then you
0: went back how many hours?
2: six or seven hours to the border Uh with the one or two stops the bus made and it went slow because there was construction and just it it i think then three hours at the border and another hour and a half or so so it it turned into like a 12-hour trip
1: and and then you know driving by some of the little villages you would see the cemeteries with the ukrainian flags of the Mm -hmm. soldiers that had just passed away or died in the war so that was a sobering reminder
2: right right um but yes colin met us because he just wanted to make sure we were able to catch there's not many ways into ukraine and so the bus was Mm -hmm. the the best option so he just wanted to make sure that we got off our flight was we were able to take um, a taxi to the bus station and That was all super helpful because even though he doesn't speak Polish, some people, a lot of people in Ukraine or in Poland now Uh speak um, Ukrainian. Ukrainian. And so that was helpful. And then he just wanted to make sure. So he had two long bus rides. He did the 19 hour bus ride, 13 hours at the border and plus seven hours about to get to Warsaw. And we're in Warsaw for about four hours and turn around and hop on the bus and go back.
0: Were there any extraordinary things that surprised you besides the things that you had mentioned?
1: Well, the one thing is uh, realizing getting SIM cards for our phones in whatever country were so helpful that we would have data and Wi-Fi wherever we were, which wow. was really nice. Right. And, and the
2: price of it was like $8 for two wow. our two SIM cards for about wow. two <laughs> weeks of phone calls and data. Um and that's that was the expensive one. In Poland, we did the same thing when we got back to Warsaw and it cost us a dollar each for the we didn't have the phone call. We didn't do the phone number, but you can call in Messenger. So any you could well, have data and use messenger too.
1: And then also the other thing was just how cheap it was to get on bolt all our transportation for The three of us was between a dollar and three dollars mm-hmm. anywhere we needed to go in Lviv.
2: Bolt is an app like Uber, but it's over there. And and they do have regular taxis, but it's about three uh-huh. times the cost as of a Bolt driver. And oh. um, so we took the um, train in Lviv, we mostly took Bolt because it was so cheap. And then trams we did a couple times, which is the above ground, like the rails on the
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the middle of the street. You know, where there's rails and the trams go.
1: And then the other thing, we got to see my cousin's daughter, Alla and her husband Pietro. Um, we got to see them Saturday. They came in from Terrnopil, mm-hmm. which was about two hours away. And we had a nice meal and Colin picked the restaurant and he picked a ribs restaurant and you couldn't eat with any cutlery. So first time I'm meeting my cousin's <laughs> daughter, were uh, making them eat with their hands. And uh, they were very gracious about it, but we thought we'd order steak and we thought we'd get cutlery with that, but nope, they said, we're you have to eat it by your hands. So they came in with big <laughs> knives to cut it up for us. Yeah. So that was different. Well,
2: it's a ribs place. Colin and I had ribs <laughs> and um, and they all ordered steak. It's like, well, wow, you've never met your relatives before ever. And-
1: yeah, it would be Aunt oh, yeah. Lida. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, Allah.
2: Yes. And she and- knows Colin because Colin's visited Chernobyl and have met them, and she really wanted to uh-huh. come to Colin's graduation, and so she and her husband either bus or trained to Lviv no, Saturday they took a bus morning, or train, yeah, trained to sat- Saturday morning, and um, and they stayed the one night, and then were able to attend the graduation the next day as well. And but we had a nice dinner with them Saturday night, and walked around the um square in the city a little bit. And, and um, they did not speak English. So Colin was using his interpretive skills <laughs> okay. um, a lot that evening.
1: And whenever um, Colin wasn't there, we fortunately had Google translate. Okay. And one of the things about is she's an amazing gardener and she does amazing job with flowers. And so we have that common interest And in the picture she showed me and she sends our Absolutely stunning, and the hard work she does. I know on she's on Facebook, and so I, you know we
0: communicate back and forth. She always comments about <laughs> flowers.
2: One thing interesting about Ala and Petro is that um, they're the cubic relatives. But when the war first started, they opened their home to some of your mom's mm-hmm. relatives from the Kharkiv region, and so they they and they didn't know them, but through Lydia, um, they were able to open their home and host some of the Kahina relatives mm-hmm. for about five or six months. And this is just hosting total strangers in your home, but they, they're very yeah. giving and hospitable in that way.
1: And that reminds me too of just even though we had a nice time in Lviv, there's that underlying pressure that the war is going on. And there's just unbelievable resolve amongst the people. And even at Colm's graduation, which was five hours on Ukrainian, there's a sense of pride in that we are going to win this war. And the mayor, he said something in English of, we will not be defeated and the place erupted, and then they had a soldier speak there.
2: An alumni soldier he, alumni,
1: yeah, and yeah. he got the longest ovation, and there's just unbelievable respect and reverence for the soldiers because everyone knows that they're going into that. Well, I mean, this is
0: no, this is um, really uh, quite a story because this whole war has weighed so heavily, not only on those people there, but on all of us who are trying to help out, you know, with the people who have been hurt and people who have been displaced. And just, and just the uncertainty of how long it'll be. Right, right. Well,
2: and, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, and Colin, one of his good friends, um, he he lived, his one of his good friends he knew from when he lived in Chernev, He his wife and they're probably now oh, two, maybe almost two-year-old daughter, the daughter and wife left Kiev and for, um, actually they went to Western Europe and I think they ended up in the U.S. for a while. And then... And so they're just separated. And then they went back for a time being, but now she's gone again and she and her daughter are, are in the U.S., I think with some ex- some uh-huh. sort of family, friends, connection. But there's so many families like that where the husband is there and the wives and kids are in America or Western Europe. It's just super, super hard that way for them.
1: Well, another thing too, uh, it was kind of a tender moment, but Colin, Sherry and I, we we had a time of, prayer. And what we do is we do solitude for five minutes of just what do you hear God saying? And do you want to share what you shared? And after our time, Colin was very moved. And he was just so grateful to finish in four years with everything going on, but it just felt like a big weight lifted off of him. And that weight is still on those people. And you can sense that tension, but they still are resolved to live life. Right. In this country,
0: that's the news. People are tiring of the news to the point where I think it kind of goes over their head. They right. don't want to hear it. And just talking to you just really brings it up in live and in color as to what's happening right now. And so many people are just ob- oblivious to it. You know, at first, when the war started, everybody was up in arms and, and how could we help? And LifeNets, you know, which has been helping out a lot. We got some very large donations right away. But then, you know, people get tired of the news and is that war still going on? And, you know, it's back to, hey, it's time for football season again.
1: Right. Well, and that's you know, we noticed that too, is and we don't expect Americans to be following but Sherry and I because we have an actual son there, we follow it daily. And we'll connect with him. Did you hear sirens last night? Were you close to Mm -hmm. something? We're constantly talking to him. And I know he doesn't want us to worry, but we watch the war closely and see the events that are happening. But we don't expect other people to because life is stressful. But for us, this is what we carry right now.
2: One thing interesting that um, I thought about um, while we were there is that we never heard air raid sirens but I would go to bed at night wondering are we going to get woken up to any air raid sirens and we never did. I um I did message our Airbnb host our we were on the fourth floor of a kind of an apartment complex that surrounded a courtyard and so you had to enter you had a code to get into the courtyard and then you go up four flights of stairs to ours anyway so i messaged the host and asked like if there's air raid sirens, where's the nearest bunker from here like a basement is what bunker is a basement and um, she said it's actually there's two of them in the courtyard the the doors down at the courtyard they go down into mm-hmm. um, um a basement slash bunker so yeah. i did peek in one one of the times, and I didn't look at it very long because it's really dark. I saw some chairs lined up on the hallway and it smelled really musty and I couldn't see very far because I didn't have my, I just didn't have a flashlight or turn my phone on there. And so, but people over there, they'll probably go to bed every night. Are we gonna wake up to air raid sirens? And um, after we left for Poland and Colin went back with us to Warsaw because we were gonna be tourists for about three days. And so he want, he came with us, and that's when the missiles hit the apartments across from the college. But then he went back to, you know, he's staying in Ukraine for the time being. Um, he told people that he either needs a wife or a job in 90 days to be able to get um, that, to be able to stay in Ukraine, because he needs a work visa or a wife. A wife, a
1: wife or a wife, yes. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, but he so after he was back in Ukraine, there was was a time when there was more air raid sirens and um, and I said and he said he did go to the bunkers and for about two hours he said it wasn't bad if he had his book to read, but he feels like um, they've gone off a lot for no reason not no reason but they go off for two different reasons and they get messages on their phone as to why the air raid sirens going off. Sometimes it's just a plane that has left Belarus and might mm-hmm. be flying over the edge of their oblast. And sometimes it might be a random drone that is just on the outskirts somewhere. Anyway, it's not overly serious, those si- sirens. But then the other type are when there's a Black Sea formation and they're shooting missiles from the Black Sea because that's mm-hmm. where the missiles come from. And that's a long ways away, but they have like, they So they get the notice if it's mm-hmm. a Black Sea, you know, missile, and then they should be going to the bunkers. And they have like 30 to 45 minutes too, before it's going to hit wherever it hits. So um, he did go and he, he said people are probably a little more crowded in the bunkers after the um, uh-huh. 10 people died in the apartment uh-huh. building.
1: And the um, other the, thing, too, is Colin doesn't want us to worry about too many things, but one day... Well, he was at our Airbnb and he goes, oh, I got to run back to my apartment to get something. And we, he came back and he forgot his iodine uh, tablets because they're really concerned about any nuclear fallout from the nuclear plant down in the south and the uh, east. Um, and so they're taking that pretty seriously. So he just got his tablets. And so I thought, OK, when he takes that seriously, we know it's a serious matter.
2: Right. We didn't know even he could buy iodine tablets over the counter. I believe. I think he just says no. I try and keep them with me just in case. And like that's a little concerning. Yeah, up there, but, up there in Chernihiv, I mean,
0: you know, where that's where Colin worked and where we've been having our working with the rehabilitation center, you know, and the nuclear power plant that was just 35 miles due west. Uh, having those tablets was was important. Before right. that, you know. Right. Right. People weren't prepared for that, but so many people got thyroid cancer, which could have been prevented if they would have had those tablets. And a lot of our work was involved with treating, especially teenage girls who developed thyroid cancer, which was totally unnecessary.
1: Oh, while we were there, too, another pleasant surprise is we got to go see a stand-up routine twice. Oh, you did? Okay. Okay. stand-up
2: comedy, because he loves that.
1: (laughs) Did you get the jokes? No, because
2: all. In, but we could tell when people laughed or not.
1: <laughs>
2: they all laughed in, you know, the same language. There's laughing has only one language, so we could tell.
1: Well, and tell- uh, so and then he he's now doing a little stand-up in Kiev this week. But he also got offered a contract from a TV station in Kiev to do some of his comedy. So he's debating whether to sign that contract or not.
0: Well, that is most interesting. What types of topics?
1: I'm sure he shared
0: with you some of what his creative material is.
1: I think he most of his focus was on when he lived in the Ukrainian village for Peace Corps for two years. and mm-hmm. No running water, no um, heat. Chopping and wood. Chopping wood. And just sharing stories of that with a little bit of twist of that. Only Ukrainians could understand, but it right. seems to get a big laugh out of that
2: that and i think also just being an american in ukraine i think he makes fun of americans a bit um, Uh which is fine but just the an american living in ukraine and the words and the language and and just i mean he kind of he doesn't just tell jokes he tells stories
1: Uh so
2: so i think it's along um, those kind of topics and
1: i know he spends hours writing his material so he takes it very seriously um, it's just fascinating to see the way his life has gone in that, that direction at this time. So just fascinating. Well, it's fascinating because just the whole
0: concept of Colin to me, you know, ever since he was a little kid, he always liked things that were different. I know he was into yo-yos there when we visited. Right. Yo-yos.
1: And then he learned languages. He studied baseball. He loved running. And he became a student of it. He became a very good quality runner so he when he puts his heart to something or his mind he goes all in
0: yeah and then then when we started those uh we had it every year for about six seven years of sending group volunteer groups to western ukraine and i thought colin going over there i i really didn't think that it was much more than just just try it out i didn't realize as to how it would become really a part of him. And then when you asked, right. is there any other opportunity? And I said, well, maybe there's something up in Chernihiv, you know, up there in the Chernobyl area that for him. I, did, I, I didn't realize, I didn't think that he would take to that as much as it did. And now right. he's now he's become kind of a hero to, to those people. And he learned how to do Ukrainian dancing and, and was just very much connected with those people. And whenever I talked to them, they always ask, how's Kolin, How's Kolin?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, another thing, too, is I think, I mean, just observing, it's an encouragement to the people there. Why would an American want to study here? Why would he want to be here? Because America is a land of opportunity, and there's so many things you can do. But he he loves the people so much, and he doesn't flaunt anything. He's pretty humble with the people, but there is an unbelievable love that he has for them and they have for him. And you can just see there's this connection and it's very encouraging but they are just always surprised why he would keep coming back. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Well, I think he wanted to go to university there because he wanted to continue like studying the Ukrainian language and um off as a side it's very much more affordable there than university here. Um it was hard. I mean, it, he had a hard he had he had research papers and theses and had to present I Felt like almost that he had to, he had to defend his thesis as part of his finals. And I'm like, that sounds like a master's thing mm-hmm. more than a ba- bachelor's degree. Cause it was a bachelor's degree in psychology is what he studied. Um, he, um, I was thrilled when I saw his diploma because it's Ukrainian Catholic university mm-hmm. and they're associated with Notre Dame. So when he got his diploma, um, the left side is kind of, it's um, landscape, the. And the left half of the um, diploma was all in Ukrainian and the right half was all in English. And so um, he has a diploma in English, which I'm thrilled about because otherwise uh, his diploma would have to be translated if he needed to present it anywhere over here, if he was to need it, needing Uh it for work or something. Uh Um, The English half does have um, an amendment, a waiver. What do I want to say? A side note saying if any of this english interpretation is wrong then it, we defer to the ukrainian side <laughs> like if they misinterpreted something the mm. ukrainian half of the diploma is the official one <laughs> okay
0: so sorry for our english
1: <laughs> yes but yeah. it was actually really well done yeah right yes yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: well yeah. i am just uh, the pictures of the graduation were just very very classy you know they were just yes. dressed, dressed in you know their uh, graduation robes and all his friends it obviously was a good Connection. Was he the the only American student there? Yes. In, in
2: his in his psychology cohort, yes. There was um other male students in other there was like four different cohorts that graduated on Sunday and there was a bunch that graduated on Saturday. I don't know what what programs those were. But the um the other three cohorts had more males in them. Not a lot. They were still overwhelmingly women. But um he started his his cohort with about four other three other guys and one of them didn't last after a year one of them left before the war and one of them just did not finish so colin ended up being the only male that actually finished the but i think
1: he was also the only american oh Oh, yes yeah
2: yeah he was the only american yeah
1: Mm -hmm. but
2: um but he um so but there was other more men in other um other programs, just Mm -hmm. not his. And as on a
1: personal side, I just felt great pride because I know for our parents, education was really important. Mm -hmm. And to see Colin graduate and receive his actual diploma in Ukraine, knowing how our mom really emphasized education because she lost that opportunity. It was kind of a sweet uh, turnaround to know that that it continues on to this day. Well, that's that's
0: wonderful. That's very wonderful. I know that our parents really gave themselves, you know, as war refugees who missed a lot of their life. I mean, they were taken as slave laborers at age 16 and pretty much into the early 20s. Uh, right. In mid-20s when they came to the United States, I mean, that part of their life was basically wiped out, if you want to put it. The education was living... Uh, in Germany in World War II, and then living as refugees, not knowing when and where they would be going, and so yeah. and so when they came to the United States, they really put a lot of effort in.
1: Well, and I thought it was cool when Lydia, I think she graduated from either the University of Minnesota with her degree. When Mom put on Lydia's robes and just how much uh, she was just so proud that uh-huh. Lydia could get that advanced degree uh-huh. knowing she didn't have that chance and wearing the robes was kind of like a symbol of like you know we're going to continue to live this life and push on for bigger and better things no matter what setbacks we face
0: yep yep now colin is, returns and has to put it into position of getting a wife or what was the other thing he had to do
2: a job a job job. like a job
0: okay well i'm pretty sure
2: thing beyond stand-up comedy because they probably don't issue work visas (laughs) he's been applying at ngos and various other humanitarian Mm -hmm. um, companies so he's in the process of looking to see you know how he can stay there
0: okay well and he really wants to stay there right
1: oh
2: yeah he does and i mean I can't say, unfortunately, it's where his heart is, but it's, you know, we wish he lived down the street.
0: I have enjoyed talking to Colin. Every time I talk to him, I appreciate the enthusiasm and the kind of the special focused skills, focused attention that he has towards special topics.
2: Yeah, he he, he has a, his heart's there and he, he loves the, the culture and the people. And um, it's just so interesting that that's the direction. I, I do believe that's your fault, Victor.
0: We were just glad to be able to provide a a means or a way for him. As 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 we talk here further here, let's go to the end of your trip to Warsaw, and uh, of course, what exactly were your thoughts when you heard about the bombings in Lviv when you were in Warsaw?
1: Well, before we went into Warsaw, one of the things we We decided to go back a day earlier because we don't want to be in a bus. And we also were driven to the border with one of Colin's uh, classmates. She got a driver, so we drove to the border, walked across the Ukrainian side and the Polish side, which only took a little over an hour and a half to get across. And then we caught a little uh, shuttle to the bus station and then towards the train station, and then train station we took back to Warsaw. But one of the sobering things when we're at the border is we saw all these Ukrainian troops that were being trained by NATO countries coming back into the country. Mm -hmm. And just to see the faces of these people was so sobering because you knew that what they were about to do was very, very serious. And just buses and buses of soldiers coming in and you just had to, there was almost a reverence or respect Knowing that these people were going to lay their life on the line for the people that they were fighting for and for the land they were fighting for, and you just had a great admiration, and it was just very moving. So, that's the first the first thing when we left Ukraine and getting ready to uh, go to Poland. That's what it was like. So,
2: right, and I'm just hearing about the bombing, we woke up Thursday morning in Warsaw to heard that there was had been bombing that previous night and just um just a little bit of shock and and very sobering um i don't know if we were surprised or not surprised i mean bombings is happening over there and we were you know fortunate not to be there
1: and we asked colin where was the bombing and he goes right across the street from the university where the graduation was wow yeah they could have missed so- misfired and could have Hit you the hurt, campus. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The campus is beautiful too. It, it's, it's not huge, but it's very, it's very manicured and, uh-huh. um, it's very, I don't know that I really got many pictures of the campus. Yeah. But, but um, some of
1: the buildings were slightly damaged with the aftershocks or some or, of the fragments and so forth. Yeah. Uh, compre- compression damage, you know, Yeah, windows blown out. So
0: you had yeah. one more thing that you were kind of interested in or that made an impression on you was public transportation in warsaw oh, <laughs> tell me about it we
2: loved that <laughs> you know we got um we were gonna have three days in warsaw tuesday wednesday thursday and then we would fly out friday morning so we um um we were able to buy a three-day ticket for nine american dollars um each and that would get us on on the metro going anywhere the trams or the buses i mean they call it Anywhere, anywhere we needed to go. There's zone one, zone two, and there's outskirts. And we only kept a zone one because that took us way further than anywhere we would have needed to go. Um, and so for $9, we could hop on, hop off the trams and the subways. We didn't actually take a bus because the other ones were so convenient. We didn't need a bus anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, also they were coming every two to four minutes. Yes. So we didn't have to wait forever. Right,
2: mm-hmm. we could Google, we google map um like okay if we want to go to this spot in old town which bus you know and then you put the on google um maps instead of car or walking you can put the public transport one and it tells all the different ways to get there super easily and uh, just the the price of it for you know for um for us as americans whose dollar is pretty strong against everywhere else Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. mostly um it's like well this why would anybody need a car <laughs> the,
1: old, the most expensive transportation was when we paid for the bike tours a three-hour bike tour of warsaw which was phenomenal right
2: mm-hmm. but that was still only 30 each mm-hmm. each person and so for we had an english guided tour he took us it was about nine miles around um this city in three hours so it was not hard at all he mm-hmm. stopped a lot and spoke about the historical places along the way where we went it was fascinating and one thing he said was that their tourism in Warsaw is way down because of the Ukrainian war. Mm-hmm. So they're feeling the effects because people are, they don't want to come and be next to a neighboring country that's at war.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, and so that was um, interesting.
0: Well, I found Warsaw to be one of the most interesting cities I've ever been to. We stayed there uh, several days at uh, Andy and Karen Lee's home when he was, working or it was based out of Warsaw and, mm-hmm. and uh, Karen took us twice down to you know into the center of town to the two, oh, nice. two, two different museums we spent a lot of time there and they were very very very, very emotional uh, journeys of what the Polish people had had gone through in, in World War II. Po- Warsaw right. got destroyed a couple different times in World War II. It's just amazing of the suffering that that city has gone through e- equal to Stalingrad.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, we got, we went to the Polish Jewish museum of uh, Polish Jews and then the uprising museum. And you're right. It is very sobering. And to hear the human stories of from little children, all the way up to elderly, what everyone went to, to sacrifice, to continue to not just exist, but to thrive in life. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. One saying we saw, I think it was that, I don't remember which museum, but, um, there was, I think it was the uprising, because this 14 or 15 year old boy wanted to go fight for the resistance. And, and he wasn't determined, he's going to fight for the resistance. And the mother was like, No, no, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go as normal. Most mothers would be. And the dad is like, No, let him go. But don't die doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna go, go and fight, but don't die stupidly. And that mm-hmm. was a that was one of the stories that like, well, that's Interesting. I mean, he wanted to be able to um, let his son do what he felt he needed to do, but, and it's okay to die, but don't die being stupid.
0: A, a different time, a different mindset, yes. something yeah. that, right. something we just don't understand.
2: Right. Well, and the six-year-olds in the <laughs> uprising who would be runners, you know, yeah. the, the little kids who would take notes in and out of the um, ghetto and, and do, I mean, there wasn't anybody that wasn't like part of that resistance it seemed like Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and that's the other thing too is with covid hitting the world everything is be safe be careful be safe and not to be we're not we don't want to be foolish but we realize you got to live life and how many people were concerned about us going over and safety first which i agree we have to be wise but also, life is full of a lot of risk. And when you watch what happened to the Polish people or the Jewish people, it was a hundred times worse than we could ever imagine. But they lived life to the fullest as they could. Yep.
2: Right. They would they would be doing resistance stuff during the day. In the evenings, they'd put their record player on and dance and, <laughs> and yep. light candles and celebrate they're still alive.
0: <laughs> well, there's uh, quite a few stories about the war in Poland, and uh, one of the most memorable books that I have read was A Spy Who Loved. It's about a Polish lady, you know, who was one of the spies in World War Two, but she came from Poland. And, but what's interesting about the book is the history that is related in it about uh, what happened to Poland, especially at the end and how they felt betrayed, you know, by the West and how they took the brunt of the war and really in one sense were not credited for the sacrifice that they had gone through.
1: Yeah, we saw that the Uprising Museum and when Pope John Paul II spoke um, in Warsaw, we saw the video about the acknowledgement. And also we learned so much about how, you know, Stalin wouldn't let the West use their airfields. And so they pretty much let Poland sink or swim. And it, it was pretty, pretty sad. Yeah. The other thing which was kind of cool is I worked with the Missionaries of Charity in Spokane. They're the Mother Teresa Nuns. Mm-hmm. And they have a house in Poland which Sherry and I got to visit and deliver some letters from the sisters here in Spokane. Mm-hmm. But I got to go back for another day to uh, help in their soup kitchen. And that was quite an experience uh, just to see how much they helped the poor and they help them with uh, classes. And that was a beautiful thing. And just to see their passion and their life to serving others. And so that's not your normal tourist destination, but it was very, very moving. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right.
2: Right. We took the first because we had some letters from the sisters here. So we figured out how to get there. It was the end of the metro. And we took the metro the first day, morning we were there. And then we walked probably, oh, I don't know, for quarter mile, maybe not very fast and just knock on the door. And, you know, and they speak English because missionaries at charity speak English around the world. And, um, so here they have two Spokane people standing on their doorsteps. (laughs) And they invited us in and had some juice and talked to a couple different of the, um, sisters there. And they were, they were thrilled. And they were like, well, when do you have to leave? Because they wanted to write some letters back. And Mm -hmm. so then Eugene, um, Went back, I think the next day or two days later, and was able to go help at the soup kitchen, but then pick up a package of letters and candy that they wanted dispersed to the sisters here. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but just it was probably a little random for them to have two Americans knock on their door in the middle of the day and and just show up like that.
0: Uh huh. Well, that's really truly moving story. In fact, all these stories of yours are, are just fascinating. I'm just fascinated here listening to what you have to say and I'm sure that our audience will appreciate what you have. Is there anything else that you would, is there anything else that uh, comes to mind here that you would like to share?
2: Um, I think one thing that I have, this has been my um like go-to scripture while Colin's been over there and this whole thing. People are like, how can you let him go? How is? How are you not just living in fear all the time? And I think of the verse in Philippians 4 7 about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. But the thing so I feel like I have that peace. But the thing is about that scripture is the scripture before it verse six is talking about being joyful and thankful in all things. And when you're thankful in all things, then you will have that peace. Mm -hmm. So I try and concentrate on the thankfulness of of the things that are 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 good and true and from God, and um, and I hadn't really, I I've I hadn't really read that verse six until this last you know winter before. I mean, I've read it in the past, but I didn't really put the two together that you you really only have peace when you ha- when you're thankful.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so
2: that has been a. I mean, it's I, I, my mind can still go places it doesn't want to go, and and it's not perfect at all. But I try and come back to those scriptures.
1: And then for me, it's just uh, one of our last days, we again we had some time with Colin and he just shared, look, our life is not our own. No day is guaranteed and just live life to the fullest and not be stupid or foolish, but we have this life that we can live. And so he is living it to the fullest and uh, I'm very proud of him. I total different direction than I would have ever done, but I have to honor that. And I just uh, think he's, Doing an amazing thing, I have no idea where it's going to go, but I know that he is passionate for the life that he lives, and I'm glad he's got passion, and uh, that he has a great love for the Ukrainian people, and he has a great love for God too, as well. You know, he is yes.
0: very devoted, very devoted to uh, to God and to Jesus Christ.
1: And uh, we just, well, I think the other thing is um, calling with Doctor P. Mm-hmm. Dr. P wrote him on graduation day, a beautiful note and letter, which Colin shared with us. And I think Dr. P has been a fantastic mentor for Colin. Now, let me just kind of interrupt here. Dr.
0: P is Dr. Vasil Posichnik, the director and founder of Revival Center for the Rehabilitation of Disabled Children in Chernihiv, Ukraine. And that's where Colin worked for a whole year. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, yes, Good. So, thank, thank you. i glad you put that in there. Um, no, and the other thing is just what he did and it was just a kind of a letter of encouragement and he wants to see Colin again. And so I think that was very cool that a mentor, uh, an older man speaking into a younger man's life, just encouraging. I just think that that connection of community from older to younger is so moving and it was one of the highlights of the trip for me to see that he just spoke into Colin's life. Yeah, I
0: spoke to Dr. P just before you all went there. And he just you know, really spoke so ravingly high of uh, Colin about his presence in Chernihiv and the effect on kids. And of course, Dr. P is a pediatrician. <laughs> he works with yeah. those, he works with children, but he really is uh, an amazing pediatrician. Eugene and Sherry, this has been just absolutely wonderful talking to you here on The Cubic Report. We made it a full Cubic Report of both ends, the host and the guest. So thank you very much for sharing your experiences.
1: Thanks for your
0: time and uh, letting us share this story.
2: Yes, thank you, Victor.
0: Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.